coming to you from beautiful Santa Barbara, California. Promoting peace, healthy living, and happiness. It's the Peace Podcast with host Barbara Gon Mueller. Welcome. This is peacepodcast.org. And I'm Barbara Gon Mueller, your host for peace prosperity, happiness, and healthy living. I say prosperity because I've been reading the book of our guest today, Dr. Joni Crawley. And you realize when you do what she says in her book, your life changes, your prosperity changes, the world changes. So let's just find out why this book called The Alchemy of Power, Invisible forces that we may not have taken advantage of that thrive inside of us. Well, I'm not going to talk anymore because I want to bring in the introduction to this fabulous woman who I met at World Unity Week. She was in charge of the town hall where I was making a talk about Robert Mueller. The World Unity Week theme was to bring us all together. What a wonderful concept. And there was Joni. Next, she comes to our Rotary E-Club of World Peace, and she starts to tell about her book. I buy the book. I have not put it down. This is only a couple of weeks ago, and I was telling her before the podcast that I've underlined everything because it matches the harmony that I want this world to create together. She calls it invisible leadership skills, but I call it life skills. It's life. If your life is full of mojo, and she'll talk about what that is, if your life is full of the energy and the inspiration of being alive, watch what happens. Joni is not an ordinary lady. She's an extraordinary woman. She's been helping businesses, private and public leaders. She's worked with world leaders for over 25 years. Her expertise is what I value, value-driven leadership and life development, which draws on the unique depth and the unique experiences of each of us. She has a doctorate in reinvention and the doctorate in the reinvention of work. And she contributed with Deepak Chopra. And you know Deepak Chopra. He made an endorsement for my husband's book, Most of All They Taught Me Happiness, Jack Canfield, a dear friend. And she's written for Cosmos Journal. Now, you know, I'm just going to stop right there because Right now, you're probably saying, let's see this woman. Let's see this woman. Welcome, Joni. It's so great to be here, Barbara. Thank you. Well, it's a pleasure. I was telling Joni she's a very special woman because she understands the alchemy of power. She understands that we have power within. And I'm going to ask my first, I have three questions for you. Are you okay with that today? Absolutely. First question, the alchemy of power dives into the invisible factors of leadership. What are some of those factors that business needs, we need, and boards of directors need? (laughs) Well, let me just kind of frame this for a minute first. Think of it like an iceberg. So 95% of the iceberg is below the water, below the surface. We can't see it. And 5% is above. Well, if you ignore that 95%, you're likely to have a crash. And the same is true. In business or in the world of nonprofit or governmental leadership, the 5% of the deliverables is just what we see. 95% of what's going on happens in the realm of metaphysics, which is culture. 
values. These are invisible factors, they're intangible factors, but we ignore them at our own peril. Even physicists tell us that they only understand 5% of the universe, that 95% of the universe is mysterious. And it is mysterious, but that doesn't mean we should just ignore it. Just because we don't know what the bottom of the iceberg looks like doesn't mean we should just pretend it's not there. And this level is the, is the level of metaphysics, and metaphysics is the science and the philosophy of causality. It's what causes what. And so, and what, what is the very nature of the being? That's what metaphysics tries to get at. Physics was born out of the larger field of metaphysics, but then we pretend like metaphysics is this inconsequential fluffy stuff. And I deal with this in my book, I call it the fluffy myth. And we've all been acculturated to it. I've written a book on this, and still, you know, I'm very acculturated to this idea that, that these things like values and um, virtues, ethics, uh, compassion, these kinds of deeper things, vision, uh, shared vision, alignment, you know, the culture, uh, the, it, we pretend like all of this is just inconsequential fluffy stuff. There's absolutely no data that backs up that myth. And in fact, the opposite is true. We know that when leaders in any sector attend to invisible factors like culture, share prices go up, profits go up, stakeholder loyalty goes up in the realm of uh, government and social service agencies, all the social service and all the social indicators go up, poverty gets alleviated. You know, all of these things happen when we dare to dig a little deeper, when we dare to work in what we've been acculturated to believe is fluffy stuff, but what we now know is the level of making things happen. And that's what alchemy is. We used to think that alchemy was just turning lead into gold and it was mythological, but that just throws away the baby with the bathwater in a way, you know? Alchemy is the ability to use these metaphysical principles in accordance with your will, in accordance with, you know, understanding these at this deeper level for a leader allows them to have the metaphysical capacity to take the, the, the abilities, the, the deeper um, aspects of all of their team. That's alchemy because when humans get together, one and one never just equals two. There is that other factor, and that's the alchemical factor. And when leaders can play with that consciously, it's amazing what shows. Alchemy of power is exactly what she's talking about, the title of her book. Well, how can you learn these skills and these lessons and this wonderful alchemy to be successful? Well, first of all, to just accept and maybe take the risk to step over that line of whether or not this is inconsequential fluffy stuff, you know, for a moment, put those doubts on the shelf. And, and I'm, I'm a fan of healthy skepticism, but there's unhealthy skepticism because people are, you know, overlooking some really important factors in their success stories. So, you know, be, be aware of your own cultural considerations. Be aware of the data. I mean, you know, the data is clear and it's across many, many, many sectors and many countries and languages that when these things are attended to, when culture is attended to, things go better. Um, it, it's attributed to a lot of different people, but uh, some people say um, when, when uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast, and that's really true. You can think of it like a culture in a lab dish. You can say, you know, will this culture grow what it is that we want? and cultures will grow some things, they won't grow others. 
And in terms of, of really knowing how to tap in, there's one key question that I invite people to ask, and that's to ask, how's my mojo? You referred to mojo earlier, and mojo is that spark, that, that, that life pulse. Tagore, a Hindu mystic, called it the life throb of ages dancing in my blood. <laughs> right? There's something that, that animates us. There is something that, even not... Yeah, the spark of life. Spark, yeah. The, the spark, it just happens. You yeah. have it. Yeah, and you know, everybody does it. We, we can put in all the elements of a grape in a lab dish, and we can't make a grape. Mm -hmm. And that's because we still don't have this metaphysical capacity to, to make that spark, but we sure can capitalize on it. We sure can work with it. That's what alchemy is. It's consciously working with that spark. And it's so simple. It's so simple. You just ask yourself, how's my mojo today? And be aware of it. You don't have to fix it, change it, you know, be aware. And if you're a leader, the best question you can ask is, how's everybody else's mojo today? And just step back, step out for a moment, take that objective viewpoint and ask that question really honestly. Is your culture supporting that, that spark of creativity and, and life pulse that keeps people engaged, that makes them creative, that makes them committed or not? You know, and, and uh, just be accountable for that is a really big step. Well, my sister was very sick one time and she ordered a pair of shoes from Zappos. And Zappos, I've always loved the founder of Zappos. I thought I should just go over there and tell him he's my son because I think he has all the values I love. So anyway, she calls him up and said, I'm pretty sick. I just had an operation and my shoes don't fit. Oh dear, I'm so sorry. And they sent her flowers from Zappos. Now that's Mojo. You know that person, you have the empathy. He trained his telephone people to do what was needed in that moment. My sister almost fell off her chair when the doorbell rang and there was Zappos flowers to help her feel better and a new pair of shoes. Now that's Mojo. Mojo is empathy in person. Yeah, that's one of the aspects of it for sure. And um, Zappos is a great, great example. I toured Zappos and it is a trip and a half to walk around there. This was a few years ago. There were things hanging from the ceiling all over. There were games. People were going out bowling together. They were going to shows. They were in Vegas and uh, they were moving. They had bought the Vegas City Hall and they were going to move, uh, renovate it and move into it. And the biggest concern they had at that time was figuring out the, that the parking garage to the front door was a perfect relationship for a zip line. And they were deciding whether to put it in or not. <laughs> <laughs> now, isn't that exciting? The zip line. Now, my granddaughters have a zip line and they love that. But you know what I love about your book? You almost have a zip line at the end of each chapter. It's kind of a reflection about the, what you got in the book what you got in that chapter. Every chapter is a gold mine, but then you reflect and you think, okay, you know, what can I do now that I've read this chapter? And I love those reflections. Now you talked about Mojo and you've said to me, I was the queen of Mojo. Thank you very much because I believe in Mojo. I believe in that spark of life. I believe in enthusiasm and energy. In fact, I wouldn't have married Robert Mueller if he wouldn't have replied to our invitational with, I'll attend with enthusiasm. And I said, a man that could say I'll attend with enthusiasm has to be paid attention to. Well, three years later, we got 
three years later, we got married. That's how much he meant to me. So anyway, let's talk about mojo. Is mojo something we are born with? Do we learn it? Is it, what is it? You know, it's that life spark and it's something that we cultivate. It's something that, um, again, culture, you know, I mean, there's, if you think of a spark, it's not going to live in water, right? That's not the right culture for it. So, you know, what is it, it needs, it needs the right ingredients for things to spark. You know, no words that we're going to use about are going to work for this, right? I mean, that's what the Taoists told us. As soon as you can name it, it's not the Tao, right? So we can only kind of cut into it with, with different analogies and, and, and things like that. But, but you know, think of, of Mojo like that spark. How do you cultivate it when we walk in nature often? it's cultivated. Sometimes it's really just a question of, of taking a walk, even going to the bathroom to regain, to take a breath, breathing. I have a whole chapter in the book about just take a breath, just breathe, come back to that center place. And, you know, five deep breaths, not even super deep, like you don't have to make a big deal out of it, but just conscious breathing, coming into that centering place, that feeds that spark, it then helps you make better decisions. You know, you can feel it when it needs to be re-upped, when your mojo needs to be stoked, right? It's there at all times. The question is, and that's another good question to ask yourself, how are you stoking your mojo, <laughs> right? And how are you stoking everybody else's? So if you're a leader, that's the thing, is you want to be stoking all the mojo, and you want to do it in a coherent way, because, you know, you also don't want to be uh, chasing cats, mojo cats, right? Like, this mojo's going that way, that one's going that way. And there is a little chaos in the creative process, so it is a little bit riskier to, to cross this line and start to work with some of these principles. But we have been so entrapped by these, these principles, uh, dogmatic ideas of what success is and what leadership is. And they are so closed-minded, so limited. And the world is changing and it will no longer accommodate this. What, what has passed as leadership in the past is just not working. And, you know, to the extent it is, it almost doesn't matter. Well, you know, it does matter because it's gotten us this far and bless it and that's a good thing. But Things are changing. There's a paradigm shift going on. And a paradigm shift is not things getting fixed. It's not things being worked out. It is a groundbreaking ontological shift in the very ground of being. And that's what's happening in leadership now. Leaders are being called to make a better world by making better workplaces. And they're being called to connect that dot. And I consult directly one-on-one -on -one with leaders uh, as a consultant and as a sort of a coach but uh, more of a uh, advisor and, and consultant and um, you know that's really what I see is that when they open up into what's authentically there for them when they dare to tap into that reservoir of the intangible factors oh my goodness you know what breaks through and what breaks open is just mind-boggling and it's not magic you know i mean that's the thing we've relegated this is all magic or it's numbers you know and i've got news for you when you tap into this metaphysical the numbers go up we know that it's true it just may take a couple of generations of, of all this data and i've got a whole 
the whole back of my book is pages and pages of references of all these studies that prove this. I mean, this is, um, that's you know, why I love your book. Not only do you have pages and pages of references, you have an index, you have a glossary, you have things we can do today for tomorrow. Now that's really important. We're living through a pandemic, a second round of it with the Delta variant um, creeping around um, and being very careful. You know, I kept saying, don't, I don't want to go back to the old normal. I want to go back to the new normal where everybody's in power, where the world works for all, where we can be empathetic, have understanding. Now, we know there are some tragedies on the planet right now, and Mother Earth is crying. We wouldn't have so many fires. We wouldn't have so many droughts. We wouldn't have so many things that aren't working if Mother Earth wasn't crying. And so here we have this pandemic, we have the earth and the environment suffering, and people suffering. How can we bring our mojo into play so that leaders can begin to see there are ways of doing a new normal? Well, yeah, I just want to go to your first point there. The book really ties rocks to clouds, right? You know, we have this kind of intuitive, more mis mysterious way of thinking, of understanding things. And that's why I have those leadership reflections at the end of every chapter. So you can connect the dot with what's on your desk right now, because, you know, that was important to me was to, to, to tie the rocks to the clouds. So, you know, how we stoke our mojo, it's really different for everyone. For some people, it's meditation. I, I, I encourage meditation. If it's two minutes, you know, whatever it is, and however you come to it is good. There are many, many methods out there. Look at YouTube, look at a local class, but meditation is kind of like spiritual hygiene and it, it is a reset button and really, really good for, for decision-making. That data is also in. Um, you know, dance. If you like to dance, dance. If you like to paint, paint. You know, I, do let that creative spirit come through and, and for its own sake. That's another myth we get tied up into is that if I sing, it's got to be, you know, worthy of a Grammy. Or if I sing, you know, it can't only be this. Or, no, let loose. You know, and, and look at where, where have you set the boundary and where can you push that a little bit in terms of what you can let loose into in terms of what's going to stoke your mojo. I take my mojo with me wherever I go. Uh, <laughs> even in the grocery store, like I will, people just are kind of, well, I should say unconscious as they buy their groceries. So I try to bring them into being there and I'll say something like, are you a couple? Because you're too cute together. Well, what do you do to that couple? It sparks that coupleness. What if the baby's crying and the mother's yelling? I say, you have the most beautiful child. It changes the moment. My mojo can spread. Even in a dime, the dime store, and even in a um, little shop next to the gas station. I don't know what you want to call that, but I went in and the little homeless guy was counting out his pennies. And I said, oh, forget your pennies. I'll put your breakfast on my tab. Well, it changed the mojo of everybody in that shop. They were all paying attention to this homeless man who needed to have breakfast. Well, do no, it. That's a great point. Positivity, generosity, those stoke mojo. And it can be so simple. Just, you know, having a terrible situation and finding that, that little nugget of gold. Yes. 
There's always something you can find, always something to hold up that's, that's good about that person. I knew a priest one time, and this person who had died, he didn't know very well, and that was, you know, did not have a good reputation. And he just kept saying, and he paid the rent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes you pretty people. <laughs> Sometimes you got to dig, you know, to find it. And it is so worth the dig because you're right. It resets the situation. It re-metabolizes the mojo. It reinvigorates, you know, I mean, go for the vitality, go for the positivity, go for the kindness. And being present. I think mojo is, is um, attracted to being present. Um, Absolutely. Presence is everything. I'm walking down. I just came to the ATM. I got my money out and this homeless lady. And I never say a homeless lady, but I just said, oh, you have great legs. And she said, thank you. You made my day. I walk a lot. And I said, well, no wonder you have great legs. And you know, those are the things that make a person realize they're important. And I think that's mojo makes people feel important. It makes me feel important. I get inspired talking to you. My mojo gets um, a little in fusion by talking with people like you i get infused if i'm not real happy i'll do two things i'll go out in the garden and take a walk or i'll go shopping why do i go shopping because i know people need me now and i wear my mask and i say things that make them aware that they're alive mm. that's all i do and then i come home and my spirit is full and my mojo is happy and then i do my peace podcast <laughs> <laughs> it works do you have any questions for me? Because you're just such an expert on so many things. And I thought, you know, I never asked, do you have a question for me? Or what can we do to help you get your book out there? Well, I'd love for people to pick up the book. It's on Amazon.com. It's uh, The Alchemy of Power by Joni Carley. And uh, I really encourage you to, to pick it up and especially use those leadership reflections at the end of every chapter. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, contact me through JoniCarly.com, which is my website, where uh, you can make an appointment to talk about possibly working together in terms of uh, consulting, things like that. And questions for you, Barbara. Well, you know, I know that you and your husband were really focused on peace and that you were pushing against and still, we all still are in some ways, an old paradigm kind of machine, right? And that's breaking open. There is a new paradigm emerging. I see it around the United Nations. I see the transformation that, that is in gear. It's, it's, it's slow, but it's in gear, and it's consciously in gear with amazing people. And so I know you've watched this transition, and, and you know, some, of us, some, some think the new paradigm is coming. I say we've tipped. It's not that apparent all the time, but there's a critical mass of people who are saying, we can't go back. We can't fix. We have to reinvent. We have to say this is a new way based on justice, peace, kindness, on positive values, on the things that matter to people. What matters most to everybody all over the world is connecting. No matter what happiness study and what language, that's the number one is interconnectivity. So I guess my question for you is, you know, how, how do you see this, this changeover of, of where we are now, the birth of a very new way of being that is especially not so apparent in more privileged places like where you and I are coming from. But, um, and, and there's a lot of chaos, so it can look, you know, it does look dire in some ways. But, 
but I know you share my my um, optimism. And oh, so do I ever? And I share your ability to ask a question with such depth and love. And I look at you and I think, when I went to the United Nations, and I was there for so many years with Robert, and um, we would go into the meditation room. Mm. Meditation is really important, Dog Hammarskjöld's meditation room. And then from the meditation room, I'd always go to the bookshop. Why? Because I knew there were people in there buying things, and I'd have conversations with them. That's why I wrote the book, Revolutionary Conversations. This is our book day, because Revolutionary Conversations, I was the co-author, allowed me to see where negotiations for peace weren't working, where people's conversations were at odds with each other. And um, the, my motto for the book was help people connect to create infinite possibilities. And that's kind of what I answer your question with. We can create those infinite possibilities. They don't have to go to the old paradigm. I agree that the shift is happening. I, I'm attracting people who are like me and I'm attracting people who aren't like me because I think we need both. We need the negative in order to appreciate the positive. And I got that straight from your book. Now you know that because we, my girlfriend wrote this book and we've been arguing about, not arguing so much, but what is gratitude? What mm -hmm. does, how do you have gratitude when things are going wrong? And in your book, you explained it. Meister Eckhart says, if you have one prayer, let it be the prayer of gratitude. You know, if you do nothing else, as far as stoking your mojo, say thank you. And some days it might just be you, the only thing to thank anybody for is you like the color of your sofa. That's as fine a starting place as any. <laughs> oh, you're so great. You know, I have in front of me the inspiration of David Stanley Ross, and he said everything is a gift. And I truly believe it. I've been on so many radio shows, and they'll say, well, how do you know which door to go through? I say, well, go through all of them. You can always shut the door again. You know, <laughs> go, go, go. And, and, and don't wait. You know, like my girlfriend would say, well, I don't ask permission. I apologize if it doesn't work. <laughs> so we have so much wisdom. I think what I'm most thankful for, Joni, is that I found your book. As I said, and I'm writing the, I can't even stop writing about it because I'm going to put a, an Amazon review of the book. And um, I really like the fact that I can open this up book up, but I'll just open it to any old page and I'll read something. Any page you open this book to, there's some wisdom. We are often unconscious of our biases that come from mainstream ideations about positivity. Think about those words. Every time I open your book, I get something that I can meditate on, think about, and I do that right before I go to bed. And then a dream comes and then I wake up in the morning with an idea. So do you do that too? You know, I'm a, a big meditator. I have been for 30 years. It's, it's a very integrated part of my life. Um, so uh, it's something I'm, I feel I am very much attuned to. Yes, and, and I really follow my inner GPS. And that's a big part of the book too is, you know, that's part of this mojo stream it's part of you know again there's no right words this is just ways of cracking in it's something that's going to always be mysterious to us no matter how much we understand it but i like this idea of an inner gps we know what to do we always know we always have that if we ask if we, ask, if we listen to our inner spirit if we ask like, if we become present that's the word 
present. Yes, and it is it is about presence, and so many of us, and for so many good reasons and some bad reasons, but you know, it, it doesn't matter, good or bad. We tend to to think, well, I'm I'm over there. I'm going to do that. You know, but to just come center, be present, take a breath. There's a book called The Presence Process that is excellent for, for uh, distinguishing this, this uh, what we're trying to talk about here. But just, again, that's where breathing comes in too. Just taking a breath, following the breath, that makes you present in your body for that moment. And just the more you practice that, the more you'll, you'll be anchored there. And then when the things that trigger you, because that's what takes us out of our presence, we get triggered. Either it, it, it takes our attention and we kind of aren't anchored enough in what we're really focusing on, or we're emotionally triggered, right? Bad or good, we're emotionally triggered. And so we're off over here, and then we've kind of lost our ground. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have excitement and emotion and joy and, and you know, upset and all those things from a presenced place. But that idea of presence, it's a really important chapter in my book, and it's a really, really, really important distinction in terms of being a great leader. You know, there's a lot of good leaders out there, but even what constitutes good leadership is just doesn't, doesn't do it anymore. And great leaders evolve you know greatly good leaders change great leaders evolve they go that step deeper to always be doing this personal work to always be saying what do i need to be out get out of the way so i can be present with this person and sometimes gratitude will get you there you know sometimes you're so mad somebody made such a, a string of awful stupid mistakes but if you can get to that one place of, of, of appreciation <laughs> you know even if it's they paid the rent you know i mean if you get to that one place you can then begin to manage the rest you can you if you look for the positivity what can be learned from this what's the evolution of this what do i need to see for myself rather than blame and shame and blame and shame that blame and shame game is that you know we're done with that as a leadership tactic it doesn't work and it doesn't pay what do I need to see is a wonderful way for us to end today. What do I need to see? And you never know where you're going to be and you're going to see something. You might see a world that's not working for a lot of people and it might make you empathetic and sad, but also you have a, the consciousness to imagine the world you want. Robert and I would be like in Sardinia and somebody would say something like, oh, Dr. Mueller, you're so important. I'm never going to be as good as you. And he would say, well, what were you doing this morning at five o'clock? And they would say, sleeping. And he said, not me. I was on the Sardinian beach and I was cleaning the beach because I knew it needed to be clean. So that's the kind of work that I do. I can write 7,500 ideas for a better world and I can clean the beach. But there's one thing I do every day. And this is how we ended his talk. I think about the world I want. I don't get caught up in the world as it is. I live in the presence of peace. Yes, it's not about pushing back and pushing against and all, because that makes everything defined in terms of what you don't want. Come to what you're talking about, Barbara, exactly. Like, what is the vision? What is the yes? 
what is the yes? You know, it, it's fine to say no to some things, but we have to bring our focus and our presence to what is it that we say yes to, and then we find our commonality, then we find our power. What is it we say yes to? And you ended your book with one or two words that I live by, and it's all about, and you hear this fabulous book, full of research, full of metaphysics, full of the alchemy of life, and she ends with, and I do hope I'll find it real quick here, because it's, her leadership reflections, I have it in orange, whether you want to change your work or change your world, L-O-V-E is always a good starting place. With that, I just want to thank you, Joni, for being who you are, for being able to put it into words, to put it in a book that is so readable. You know, she calls it leadership. I call it life. This is a book of life. This is the life I want to live. Now, why do I love her book so much? It reminds me of who I am. It reminds me of what travels I have taken to get to this point. It reminds me of the 9,000 books in my bookshelves. But this is the one I keep on my desk. This is the one that I refer to over and over again. It's because Joni comes from that authentic place every author should come from. And then she gives us the wisdom to carry us forward into the future. With that, Joni, I thank you. I thank you with all my You're heart. welcome. And thank you so much, Barbara. It's really been a, an honor to be with you. Thank you. Thank you, Joni. Um, you're watching Peace Podcast. I'm Barbara Gon Mueller. We're starting something new. We haven't started it yet, but it's called Peace Podcast Conversations. You've watched Joni. Wouldn't you love to have a conversation with her? Well, get ready because it's going to be a 20-minute conversation with four or five Peace Podcast viewers, and we're going to have that conversation and just see what evolves. Thank you for joining us. Invite your friends to watch and have that conversation. Conversations bring us into the future, and they help us we appreciate the people in our life. Thanks again, Joni. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye for now. Thank you all for joining us. Again, join us next week for a brand new Peace Podcast. I'm Barbara Gunn-Mueller, blessing you, thanking you, and hope you have a peaceful day.